0: Two more games, two more losses. The Mets lost both in Boston and now enter their final 10 games of the season this weekend in Milwaukee with a good chance of being eliminated from playoff contention.
1: We discussed a disappointing series in Boston and the Mets fall from grace.
0: Our special guest on today's episode was a fiery Mets manager that led them to a World Series appearance in 2015. That would be the beloved Terry
1: Collins. So join us as we count down the days to elimination next on Amazing But True from the New York Post. Queens, New York. Mets take the field.
2: So amazing. Amazing but true. Orange and blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York folks. It's out of here. We got you.
0: Welcome back to Amazing But True, our New York Mets podcast from the New York Post. Jake Brown alongside Nelson Figueroa. Follow us on Twitter at Jake Brown Radio at Figgy Subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Use Apple Podcasts. Give us a five star rating. Write in a nice review. We appreciate your support. Follow the show at Amazing But True as well. Terry Collins will join us. He joined us last year. Fun interview. A lot of talk about ass in the jackpot. But Terry is back again for a 2021 season. Looking forward to talking with Terry. And we need something to look forward to, Figgy, because there's not really any Mets games to look forward to. I mean, my God, two just terrible games in Boston. The team look like absolute dog duty. They are just slipping away from the playoffs. They enter Thursday. A whopping nine and a half back of the wild card and eight in the division. There is a chance Friday night, the Mets are eliminated. At the very latest, it might be Sunday. It seems like ten games left. The doubleheader with the Marlins Tuesday, making it ten. This season, you know, they could enter that home game on that doubleheader Tuesday, eliminated. And that's pretty depressing for a team on August 5th, Figgy, that was in first place that they might be double digits games out uh it's been a rough six to seven weeks
1: yeah first off switch to decaf the beginning of that was way too fast now that you have seem to calm down a little bit and the reality I need a vacation figgy and- i need a tropical island
0: i've been <laughs> podcasting my face off i'm surprised i'm not talking about daniel jones right now instead of the new york mets
1: Listen, uh, you you really should want to because he'll still be playing as of Sunday and, and play, with something to play for. Um, Zach Wilson
0: had a great pitching performance uh, for, for the uh, Mets on
1: Yeah, no, seriously. Th- these guys are having a, a tough time go- going... It seems like going through the motions. It's been a rough six weeks, to say the least. You know, going into the numbers over the last six weeks, the weird part is, is they've been hitting actually a lot better. They've been scoring runs. But, of course, like we said... The starting pitching staff could not possibly do what they did most of the first half. The bullpen could not possibly do what they had been doing mainly the whole year. Um, You're seeing the, The dog days of summer hit these guys hard, and they'll have a night where they hit and they don't pitch. They'll have a night where they pitch and they don't hit. They'll have a night where they don't play defense. It just seems whatever could go wrong does go wrong for the New York Mets. And it's just sad to think that it was in their hands this whole time because a lot of the cards fell in the right way where teams were losing. The teams that had to lose... We're losing. And there's other teams that have taken advantage of it. You look at a team like the Cardinals, and they've surged into that wild card and you know, trying to get as close as possible before the last 10 days of the season. We thought the Mets would have a chance to do that. Like I said, their numbers are top 10 in hitting categories where they were the bottom 10 most of the season. So they started to turn it around after, of course the Dodgers series and the Giants series. We said that would be the toughest test for them this season. Without a doubt, it was. It pushed them way back, um, but they were still treading water at that point where they had an, a chance to take it out on the lowly of Nationals and the Marlins. And they didn't do that to the best of their ability. They did not capitalize on that. When the majority of those games, and I'm talking like 14 games, they should have won 12. That's what I'm talking about. That's when you dominate a team like that and you get hot and you roll through it. Their schedule wasn't going to help them. They're playing against every team that they played against that has over a 500 record. They have lost the series to. So that's not going to help you make a playoff push. It's a disappointing season all the way around. I think there's a lot of guys who are going to look in the mirror and realize, you know, I don't know. It's not that they didn't work hard. They just didn't play well. That's what it comes down to. And, uh, You know, I don't want to see DeGrom back this season. I don't want to see him risk anything by coming back for one game. Yeah,
0: even Syndergaard, too. I get it, Figgy, because he's going to be a free agent. But why risk losing these guys next year? God forbid their arms, shoulders, something pops in a meaningless game against the Marlins, maybe to sell some extra tickets for that final home game, or maybe one of those final games down in Atlanta. It just seems nonsensical to even throw them out there.
1: Yeah, no, I I, I don't want to see either one of those guys. Um, you know, Syndergaard, unfortunately, after the surgery, he had the setback, then he gets COVID, and it pushed him really back. It just... I think it's not meant to be. We've seen him do this before when he came back late in the season. Remember he threw one inning as a reliever, hit 100, and everybody's like, oh, my God. You know, it's it's a great idea to maybe possibly put him into the bullpen. So it's intriguing for the Mets because he's going to be a free agent, you know. So the Mets know him better than anybody. They know how he's rehabbed this whole season. They know the real issues that he's dealing with for someone who, you know, had a slight elbow issue to miss another three and a half months it's not that slight I you know that's what they kept saying about the Grom's elbow issue Oh, no, it's a, just a slight discomfort slight inflammation three and a half months later here we are I'm not pushing either one of those guys back and if you're going to give a qualifying offer to send the guard or somehow roll the dice and say hey has a three-year deal two-year deal you make them into a reliever so be it I don't want to see any of these guys jeopardizing their future to sell some tickets on the last day of the season uh, no thank you when it comes to the offense I, I, I love the energy that bias has brought, brought to this team uh, I love the the swagger, the defense, the base running, I mean, the complete package. And he's also had more walks in a 10-game span than ever in his career uh, just recently. So he's walking a little bit more. Maybe he's turning into that better all-around hitter. He's hit the ball very well so far as a New York Met. So I would like to see him back. To team up with Lindor for a full season, more than just one season, of course. Uh, It'll be interesting to see what moves need to be made, but we all agree. Front office, there has to be a clean house of front office, managers, coaches possibly. I don't feel like there's anyone that should be safe, especially the hitting coach. Oh my gosh, uh, situational hitting was horrendous all year long. And that's on the players. I mean, a hitting coach's job is not to uh, wish For these guys to do better you know hope for these guys to do better he's working on it i'm sure daily you know hey pretend there's a guy on second base hit the ball the other way you know there's the shift try to hit it out of the shift it's just not working out in ball games the way it should and these guys are too talented to not figure this stuff out we've seen many players who wore Met uniforms have to retire with the shift curtis granderson being one of them his average was down 200 points because of the shift. Lucas Duda was another one who, if it wasn't leaving the yard, it was an out because you have four guys playing short right field and every ground ball was covered. No matter how hard you hit it through the first base hole, there was somebody there. So I think the, an approach is going to have to be changed for the New York Mets. You're going to see managerial change. You're going to see coaching changes. There's a lot going on. And we're going to see if um, Uncle Stevie is going to go out in free agency and make a big splash this year because it wasn't too much of a splash because it wasn't a free agent signing. You know, they made the trade to get Lindor and wind up locking him up, which was great. Uh, but you're looking at not many of the moves have really panned out well. Loop has been a great signing. He got to sign him back. And he was only on a one-year deal. Taiwan Walker's back. He has a two-year deal and then a player option. We have Carrasco back. Syndergaard will be, you know, a free agent. Stroman will be a free agent. There's a lot of Conforto. There's a lot of faces that could change here, and this team could look very different next yeah, year. Yeah, and
0: we'll talk more about those offseason things next week once the mathematical number is in and they officially are limited, because then we'll have to look ahead to the offseason. But a couple things to react to. One, you know, Wednesday night was defined. The Mets season was basically defined by two things. It was Javi Baez swinging at a pitch to end the inning that hit him. It would have been a hit-by-pitch. And Jonathan VR, an 11-3 game, tacking up and getting thrown out at a third in an 11-3 game. I mean, the bad news Bears have come to Queens. They came to Boston. I mean, the seven-line army is leaving that stadium with egg on their face I mean what a debacle I mean how are you go to third base and listen VR had a tremendous season for this team it was a lot better than people thought he was supposed to be a bench player and became a starter and he did great but my god I I don't know if I've ever seen someone as bad on the base pass we saw you know Nimmo make mistakes on the base pass this year a lot of just dumb errors free swinging on Baez yes he should be back which is crazy and I'm probably gonna have to eat a salad now because I think the thumbs down (laughs) saga I said if the Mets bring him back I will eat a salad because I'd be shocked well a lot has changed since thumbs down it's been thumbs up and now I'm gonna have to figure out what do I do gorgonzola vinegar what I don't even know the dressings you know I should know the dressings from all the years going to Italian restaurants and my dad saying what kind of dressing you got Italian, gorgonzola. What what are some other dressings? Ranch, <laughs> uh, ranch, blue, blue cheese. cheese. I think he usually went with the Ita- Italian as a dressing, right? Yeah. I, I would as just dressing. pick the croutons out of my parents' salads, and I would eat the croutons, and that was that doesn't a, count so, as
1: eating a salad.
0: I know it didn't count, so that's why Javi, if you're back, Jake's eating salad. Do I go to just salad? Where do I go? I don't know.
1: Just to give you an idea, Javi Bias, since the thumbs down that Sunday of the Faithful Dumb Uh he's only batting three seventy two with six home runs, 13 RBIs.
0: Maybe that's what he needed. Who uh,
1: knows? That... He's got, he's got nine walks and 22 strikeouts. He leads the Mets and
0: walks in the last two weeks, which is pretty great.
1: Yeah. Four doubles. I mean, he's, he's been, you know, tearing the cover off the ball. So, you know, with an OPS, up over a a thousand. He he just really is an exciting player to watch. And if he can kind of tone it down a little bit with the huge swings and not swing at anything that comes in the direction of the plate, (laughs) you see what kind of a player is, man. It would be really exciting to watch this guy team up uh, with Lindor and, and whoever else they bring in the mix. I just know that we looked at McCann as a good secondary option to Real Muto and you watch Real Muto win the ball game for them last night yet again. And you say, yeah, it's not even close.
0: I'd like another catcher. I I know they're probably going to, I mean, they're sticking with McCann, but I don't know. I'd like a guy to compete with him. I know they paid him a lot, but money shouldn't be the thing here. I would get someone. Tomas Nito's an okay player, but I'd like to see more split time next season. Again, we'll talk about the off-season stuff down the road, but that's something. And then Taiwan Walker, he's back. And my God, if he's anything like the second half Taiwan Walker, the Mets are in a lot of trouble next year. He has got to get back to what he saw in the first half. And I know a lot of it may have been fatigue from the injuries and surgeries and all that jazz, but you look at the the difference, Figgy, from his first half and second half. I think his ERA was like seven versus like three or something. It was like an insane difference between season ERA and second half ERA. Walker's at the top at plus 3.17. Mets are in trouble if they're thinking he's going to be their, you know, number three starter and he pitches like he did in the second half.
1: Well, one of the things we know for sure, uh, Whistlegate, uh, blew the cover off, he's tipping his pitches. and Teams are studying him a little bit more. Remember, when you had Jacob deGrom to worry about, when you had you know, Stroman to worry about, when you had all these other starters to think about and worry about, Taiwan Walker wasn't the guy you worried about. Then all of a sudden he becomes an all-star and people start taking notice and they start figuring out, hey, what makes this guy tick? What does he do in certain situations? What's his pitching sequences that he likes to go to? And they're picking him apart. And if you thought the Yankees were good at it with the whistling, Boston Red Sox surely took advantage of that as well because You saw him not able to strike out. He struck out one batter, two walks, and everything else was squared up. And that's what Alex Cora does. He was very good at that as a player uh, from the bench. He could pick out those little things that pitchers did and, and make it so obvious. All of a sudden, you're up to bat, and you can see when a guy's bringing his hands up a little bit higher when, when he's turning his body a little bit more, even the leg height that you pick up on your front leg before you go home and reaching that balance point, all those little things are little keys. And if you know what a guy's keys are, you know exactly what's coming. And all you got to do is make sure it's a good pitch to hit. And Boston Red Sox saw a lot of good pitches to hit last night. Well,
0: I mean, what do we watch for here in this final week? I mean, if DeGrom, it seems like they might bring him back, which like we said, is foolish. Syndergaard, it seems like it's a lock. He's back now that he got his rehab inning in, Might get one more inning this weekend and then we might see him next week. But I don't know what else. I mean, Alonzo's chased to 40. I don't think he's going to get it. He's at 35. You know, he's one guy that held up for the most part his end of the bargain on this team that is full of underachievers from McNeil to Dom to McCann. Nimmo was good, Conforto, obviously. Nimmo and Alonzo were the two guys in VR that held up their end, but Lindor was bad. Everyone else was very much underachieved. JD was solid, but, you know, wasn't a full-time player and doesn't give you much defensively. So I don't know what his role is here. He might be, you know, sent out of town. Dom Smith may be sent out. We'll be thinking about guys like Castellanos and Correa and some of these other guys that are out there but man there's not a lot you know i hate to sound so negative nancy here before we throw to terry collins but this last week you know assuming that they're eliminated this weekend you know if they're still alive for the home games go out and cheer them on until they're eliminated but man i did not think that with over a week left in the season this team would be mathematically out of it here i was thinking those maybe those last four you know the last four games in three days in at city field against the marlins would be a significant series well It's nothing close to significant now, Figgy.
1: Yeah, um, what to watch for. Um, You know, again, Pete's quest for 40 is going to be a big thing. Conforto, if he can continue to hit the ball, Baez, the same thing, continue to hit the ball as they head into free agency. Um, You know, you want to see how these guys finish off. You also want to see, you know, which guys are going to mail it in once they're eliminated. You see guys that may not want to play. You're going to see guys get an opportunity to play. I mean, at that point, why not put J.D. Davis out there for the rest of the games, whether it's at third base or whether it's in another position to try and get them acclimated to somewhere else. Even for the coaching staff, you know, when your days are numbered and you're sitting around wondering what could have been, that's a got to be a, a strange feeling for the coaching staff because, you know, n- none of them are on guaranteed deals for, you know, three, four, five-year deals. They're all sitting on a one or two-year deal at best. And so you know that some coaches are not going to be back and there's going to be some movement in the coaching staff too. So I, I don't know. I think uh, you're a Mets fan. You're going to watch if they do win a bunch of games in a row, too little, too late kind of thing. <laughs> it's going to really piss you off. But I mean, we used to watch the games because you would see, you know, the guys that may be up next year's team, the younger players, but we don't have that anymore with the new rules of what guys they can bring up. And I don't think there are many guys that uh, we, we would have not have seen when you have uh, almost 69 guys in Met uniform this year.
0: Nice. If they are eliminated this weekend and then win every game after, I don't know. I'm just gonna eat copious amounts of chicken parm, which I would do anyway. <laughs> <laughs> do something drastic with my life.
1: I hear you. Maybe I'll hit. The,
0: maybe you. I'll hit the gym more often if, if that happens. Oh,
1: you can't even spell Jim, bro.
0: G Y M E, Jim.
1: Nice job. Now
0: I'm thinking of Jim's Deli in uh, Hempstead, Long Island. <laughs> Great deli. <laughs> Get the Carlos there. Tell him Jake sent you. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's. Uh, <laughs> It is bleak. I might, I might have trouble giving away tickets to those final games if, if, uh, if it comes to that. But hey, we'll see. You know, maybe the Braves. You know, the Braves are playing the Padres. Maybe they get swept, and then the Phillies sweep the Braves, and then the Mets sweep the Braves. Good oh, God! God shut me. up, Jake. Let's just talk to Terry Collins. <laughs> Terry Collins, former Mets manager, joins us next. on amazing, but true. Joining us now on Amazing But True is now a friend of the program, making a second appearance on the show. He was a fiery Mets manager from 2011 through 2017. He took the Mets to the World Series in 2015, a wild card game in 2016, which we would clamor for even a wild card game right now, Figgy, but that's not going to be happening this season. Won <laughs> 551 games as a Mets manager, managed more games than anyone in Mets history. Terry Collins joins Amazing But True. Terry, how are you? Good guys, how are you doing? We're doing well. We uh, you know, we didn't get to golf today. Figgy's Figgy's a big golfer. He likes to go golfing. I I have not golfed enough to go do 18 holes because I'd keep people there for hours and I'd rather just go to the buffet line and the and the open bar would be better, Terry. Yeah, yeah.
2: We'll figure when you get down when you get down to Florida. We we we'll, we'll play because it's uh, you got a good group of guys. We'd love to play with them.
0: Terry, have you been watching uh, these games? Have you been drinking through them? I mean, have, have you have you been watching the Mets this season?
2: Well, as you guys know, I watched. I mean, I was there last week and watched the six games at home. And, and to be honest, I probably watch a lot of games I really can't tell you how many but I you know there's been some nights where after about the seventh inning I time for me to go to bed but and then I I move on but you know there's been some good nights and there's been a, a few bad nights and I'm you know as frustrated as anybody because I'm a you know I'm a huge Mets fan and you know I only want what's best so when I was up there I saw some things that you know I just thought wow we got to that's got to get fixed and so you know I think there's again do we wish this year but it turned out better? Yeah. But, you know, it, it all starts with the pitching. And, and I, I said this on a, a number of the shows, those Zoom shows I do with S&Y, you know, I was told many, many years ago when I started managing the best pitching staffs in baseball were the healthiest pitching staff. And I go back to the 14 years the Atlanta Braves won, and those guys never missed a start. They just kept running those glavin smolts, matic out there all the time. And therefore, you never disrupt your bullpen. You never disrupt the, the continuity of the ball club. And and this club this year, everything has been disrupted.
1: Terry, in today's managing, we see a lot of managers using these starting pitchers only two times through the lineup, taking them out with less than 85 pitches. Who do you think is going to be the first team to step up and say enough is enough and let these starting pitchers go back to the days of seven, seven plus innings so that you can rest that bullpen and have them fresh for the rest of a series?
2: Well, you know, and I, and I agree with that. And I don't know who's going to step up. I do believe, you know, if you guys watched the Philly series the other day, Do you notice they don't shift? very much hardly at all they also ran Zach wheeler out there uh, into 110 pitches and he's your eighth and they ran you know Kyle gibson the one they brought him back out in the seventh inning because you know because they the night before they had the first two games they had to use their bullpen and so they said you know what we got to get some innings and so he's the guy he's you know this guy's a, a good big league starting pitcher he didn't give up a bunch of running man they only gave up three runs so i mean those are used to be quality starts now and i don't know where it's going to stop but you know i, I keep reading about last week where you know we had to give this guy some time off and this guy's been pitching too much well that's you know once in a while you sit down before a game and you and you look at who you have tonight and say hey look we got to get some innings out of our starters tonight because next week we're in a pennant race and we're going to need release you know the game's about good bullpen today and you can't and i and i've said it all season long you know this is a marathon and when you start running sprints in april may and june with your release pitching when they hit that last mile in, in in September, they're going to be out of gas. You know, that goes against the, the way that I was brought up to, to use your bullpen, and that is hey, look, fix your spots, but once in a while say, hey, look, I might get beat tonight in, in June or, or May because I've got, to, I've got to have this guy when it's crunch time in September, and now these guys are all out of gas in September.
0: Listen, there were times, Terry, that you made you know, when I had hair made me pull my hair out at times. But Luis Rojas, I have no hair left. It's all gone because of the Mets over the course of my life. But uh, he has made some decisions that seem like they were premeditated before games where, you know, pitchers are taken out after five or six innings when they could easily have gone another 15 or 20 pitches at the minimum. Has that frustrated you? I mean, I think you're more of an old school manager. I, I know the analytics have kind of taken over the game, but does it frustrate you as an old time baseball guy watching, you know, Marcus Stroman or a Walker get pulled at 82 pitches through five or six innings? It does frustrate me, but
2: you know what, I, again, I'm not in the clubhouse. I don't know what goes on in the modern analytics world of, hey, look, they come down before a game and, and say, hey, here's what here's what's going to get you. Here's how we're going to run things tonight, and you know I said, I can only tell you, I really got a fearful of it about three or four years ago after I left managing, I talked to a, one of the managers in the World Series and he said before one of the games, his analytics guys came down and said, hey, look, if you use so-and-so tonight, he can only throw 17 pitches. Now, how do you come up with 17, the number 17 pitches? And he said, but he was, he knew that he had, that's what he had to stay to. And I just said, how can you possibly run a game, manage a game when you've got, hey, I mean, what happened? as if, you know, this guy faces two good hitters, has two easy outs, and all the third guy, you know, has one of those 12-pitches 12, 12 at-bats, and you got to take him out in the middle of the at-bat. I mean, <laughs> I didn't come up with 17 pitches, but, you know, that that's where it's at today, and, and I think I do believe there are times when before the game, which we, I, we did. I mean, I would sit with my pitching coach, my bullpen coach. Now, we didn't have any performance coaches. We used, you know, our, I had really good coach pitching coaches, and we'd sit down and say, who do we have tonight? Who do we have if we go extra innings that are multiple inning guys? And, you know, last week in New York, everybody was a one-inning guy. And that's, you know, it's some place, and I know extra innings are different today. But, you know, you might go thirteen, and, you know, if you run out of pitching, who's going to pitch those extra one or two innings? And that's, for me, that stuff's all had to be decided before the game starts.
0: Yeah, it seemed like the days of, you know, 110, 120 from a starter, you know, rest in peace. Those seem dead and gone terry but you know it is uh it seems like the feel of a game and it's not just with rojas you're seeing other managers too where it's a lot of by the book and analytics the feel part has been lost a lot and i think you know as a baseball fan my whole life you know figgy playing you managing that's got to be frustrating where you know sometimes you just got to go you got to say hey can you give me another thing you did it with matt harvey i think it was the right decision harvey said give me the ball guys wanted the ball now with with rojas and with some other teams it doesn't seem like there's that approach of a guy saying I want it or or the manager at least giving them that chance.
2: Yeah. And again, I do not, I think a lot of that takes place before the game. I, you know, I, I really believe that, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I learned my lesson when I was managing in Anaheim, the pitch count stuff started to really come into play for the first time. And this was in the course of the late 90s and I had Chuck Finley who was one of the best pitchers in my opinion in the American League and so I sat him down and we went all over this data that we had about after a certain amount of pitchers the bat, what the batting average was and didn't matter how many times through the lineup it was hey look after 95 pitches the batting average soared 150 points that kind of stuff and so Chuck looked me in the eye and said look you're the manager if you want to do that that's fine I get it He said, you're not going to have any problems with me, but let me tell you something there are nights that it's working, and there are nights it's not. He said there are games where my quits working, my locating my fastball, my curveball's good, I'm striking guys out, and it's easy. And 125, 130 pitches is easy. There's other nights where I'm in a trouble in the first inning, I'm in trouble in the second inning, and I look up in the fifth inning and I've got 70 pitches and I'm out of gas because I've had to use a lot of extra energy just to get to the fifth inning. And he said, "So do what you want with pitch counts, but don't don't rely on them totally." And I never forgot that. What, what he, When he talked about it.
1: Yeah, one of the best things I think that ever happened to me in the big leagues is I had managers that would come out and kind of check your temp, see how you're doing. So in like the sixth inning, a pivotal situation there's a lefty on deck and you kind of know that you're, you know, you might be coming out of this game in the very next hitter, but they want to check and see where you're at. So they give you that opportunity to find yourself, hey, you're still winning this game, or you're up by three runs, it would only be a two-run home run if you could give it up, but you knew that lefty might be coming in, an old-school manager would actually see what you had, just even by your reaction, reading your body language, watching your eyes, seeing how focused you are. Those are the little things that I think, when I got an opportunity to say, hey, I got this, you know, I've been cruising along this game, give me an opportunity, and then you learn in May and June, You know, this guy – can do it he can be challenged and so i think that's pivotal for a manager like yourself that you went out there and had those conversations not always just send out the bullpen coach to kind of go through the motions but you you yourself went and got the feedback from a pitcher
2: you know I'm sure you remember Nellie, when I was managing I during batting practice, I just walked around the outfield talking and I talked to position players too about stuff hey when are you are gonna need a night off this week, but I will tell you how many times I walked up to Jerry Blevins and said, "How are you doing today he'll say he'd say to me, Terry, I got a one up and one in. you know what I mean, hey, if you warm me up, you gotta get me in and you know, and that's the other part where i, I this week on the radio i I was trying to let the fans know, look, you know the thing is that people forget about is these guys warm up, they may throw forty warm up pitches sit down, get up the next inning, throw 40 more, get in the game, and throw 20, 20 pitches in the game. Well, they've already thrown 100 pitches when they're ready. And so, hey, they're going to need a night or two. And so you've got to monitor that also. And that was the one thing that I really relied on my bullpen coach to do is, hey, look, you tell me how many many times this guy's got ready because if they get ready twice, They've got to be in the game or they're done because you know, you're they spend all that energy in the bullpen sometimes, but yeah, the communication side. And you know what? I was taught a long time ago by you know, I, I used to listen to Sparky Anderson, he was the radio guy when I was with the Angels. And Sparky used to talk to me a lot about use your eyes, you know what. The other team will start to tell you when, when your pitcher's losing it. When they start to get that barrel, you know, when they start to get that barrel out there, when they, you know, they look comfortable in the batter's box, or they, they start taking those closed pitches that they were swinging at early in the game. He said, then you need to be careful. And I never forgot that stuff. I mean, I wish I would have wrote all the advice down that I used to receive. But that's how, you know, I ran game, yeah. And we all know, look, every situation in the game, you can do this or you can do this and you think about it you look at all of the any data you have and you make a decision sometimes it works and sometimes it does. That's why baseball for me is a great game. And that's also why I think it's wonderful that people have an opinion. Oh, I would have done the other. Well, yeah, great. Well, I didn't do it. But to come up when the game was over and say, well, I, you know, I would have brought that other guy. Yeah, no kidding. I, I, that's why you talked about my wife. Yeah, on the way home, my wife would tell me, why'd you bring that guy in? I said, where were you when the decision was made? You know, you were, you know. <laughs> so, but that's why I said it's a great game. And yeah, the hard part is for me, is that you know what And i don't care what else, the numbers say the good players run the game the good players create all the numbers and by the way when your good players don't play good you're not going to win a lot of games because you cannot rely on those guys whose job is to be you know the support guy and i would sit down every year before the season started and i would look at my lineup and i'd say if i get just averages what's on the back of their baseball cards just that i know what kind of team i'm going to have because if we're good, I'm going to get a surprise someplace. You know, in 2015, the surprise, you want to test for We didn't have him in the beginning of the year. He came up and surprised. But we also got that tremendous bench that we had. We didn't plan on having that. And so all of a sudden, those surprises were there. But I looked, Murph had a good year. You know, David had gotten hurt that during that time. But, you know, I just think, you again, you've got to turn to your good players and say, Hey, look! You got to carry it. This is—it's your time. It's your turn. And and those guys—they—they they buy into it. And when they don't play good. Hey, look! It's not that they're not trying. Just one of those things. That's why it's hard. That's why the game is hard.
0: Luis Rojas probably is not going to be back. You said on SNY that you don't believe that he should accept a role within the organization. So if the Mets say, "Hey, we'll give you this front office role or you know analytical role," you think he should say "Sayonara" and be a coach somewhere else?
2: Well, you know, first of all, I think Luis is going to be a big bit coach, I and mean, I think he's going to be. I think he's going to manage again. But so why would you take a job in the organization? Because who? I mean the new manager is he going to call you? and say hey what what do you think of this? No, he's got to make his own decision so a, so to go in the front office and say well I'll, you know I'll work with the analytics side you know what I just think that you know what you, you got to say and I know Louis he, he'll get a job in a minute he, he's done a great job he's worked hard he you know okay it seems you know it is what it is but we've we've seen so many examples of guys getting a chance to go someplace else and having huge success and I think he'll grow from it but just to take it, you know, and there I saw the argument. Well, he's a great guy, and, and he, why would you get rid of it? You know, an organization with a great guy. Well, you know what? I thought I brought a lot to the table. You know, I ran minor leagues. I, I put more, uh, and I say me, but our organization with the Dodgers put more players in the big leagues in a few years. You know what? But when the time came to make a change, they had to make it. They made a change. So, you know, you move on, and I, and I think in Louie's case, to take a job just that take a job you know there's other there'll be there'll be better things out
0: there and nice guys don't always win ball games here in Queens Terry uh so oh oh, believe me (laughs) you know uh you know is does Carlos Beltran intrigue you coached you a little bit do the Mets consider going down that path
2: well you know, first of all, I again, we're going to get into the commissioner's
0: decision. But,
2: you know, when the commissioner said, hey, look, no player is ever going to be held accountable for what happened in, in Houston. Oh, may, no, let me take that back. One guy will be. I mean, what kind of a statement is that? I love Carlos Beltran. He's a tremendous baseball man. I can't tell you how many nights, when maybe nights he didn't play, he was there helping guys on the bench get ready to go into a game. Or helping a player that's in a game, talking to them about the situation or what they might see. This guy is an outstanding baseball man and i would only hope that get, he's going to get his opportunity to manage somewhere
0: they need fire they need you know you had some fire after post games you would yell i don't did you ever flip tables did you ever flip over you know the team's dinner
2: not really you know i probably did that when i first started managing but today's player, that doesn't face them too much you know i think i think more i think today you today you've got to be a little more one-on-one with when it comes to that stuff i mean i held team meetings you know, after a game was over. But you know what? I held more team VNE talking about, hey, we're better than this. We're a better team than what we're fighting. Didn't get on somebody and say, Hey, you stink and hey, that wasn't how you do it. You know what? You do those things off to the side one on one because in today's game you do not embarrass big league players. They don't it's just not done. And so you've got to do the correcting stuff. On a one-on-one basis, when you have a team meeting, try to remain as positive as you can. So when they leave that room, they think, "Hey, look, I can't wait to come back tomorrow because we got to, you know, we're, we're gonna we're gonna win tomorrow's game." And the more you beat your players down in today's market and today's game, the, the tougher it's gonna be for managers.
1: Yeah, seeing that you know the this year all those guys are back, right? AJ Hinch is managing again. So is uh, Alex Cora, and Beltran was slated to be the Mets' next manager until. You know, he had to take the suspension. So I think he's in play. And not only is he in play, he's he was an intriguing uh, managerial selection back then because they wanted him over Girardi. And I still believe that he is the best fit. This is a star player who doesn't have to manage but wants to manage and wants to be here, especially in this time in New York where you have young, exciting players like Baez and you have Lindor. So if they sign Baez back, you bring in Beltran, there's going to be an energy – that I think he can really take advantage of. And he's a guy that since the days of playing for you, he was always attentive, always learning on the fly. And someone who, when he spoke to you on the bench and said, hey, you know, for me was, hey, you might be tipping your change up a little bit. Don't open your glove so big and things like that that respect factor kicked in, because I know if he was on the other side, he'd be picking that up and trying to take advantage of it. He was trying to help me and help our team win. I could see him doing that as a manager night in and night out.
2: I would support that. I think it's great. And you know and if Louie's back, I'll tell you one thing. I, I really believe, you know, you grow sometimes. You continue to learn in this job. It's a, It's a tough job. And you know, I, I just think that you got to stand up, be accountable, take your beating. But at the same time, you know, always be prepared to move on and, and, and get better on, from it all. So I don't know what's going to happen. I know that obviously, and I one of the other things I brought that up is because you're going to bring in a new, you're going to bring in a new general manager, a new pr- president of baseball operations. And I went through that, you know, when I was in Houston, I thought I was, we were doing a pretty good job. And, and all of a sudden the new general manager came in and we weren't on the same page. And so it wasn't going to work. So, you know, and, and I did the same thing. Louis, you know, if he's hired, you know, if the new manager uh, or the new general manager call, calls him up and say, listen, I know about you, I know who you are, I want you in this. Okay, that might be a little different. I'm just thinking for Louis case to come in under somebody else's wing and say, gosh, you know, I didn't hire you. Uh, gee, maybe are you Sandy's guy? Are you Stevie Cohen's guy? You know, the new general manager, you got to be his guy for me.
0: What do you think of Steve Cohen? Obviously, he's gotten some, you know, some heat for – for some of the tweets that came recently. But what do you think overall of his first year as owner?
2: Well, I, I'll tell you one thing. When you step up and spend money and try to get your team better, I think that's great. I re, I really and truly respect that. I love the fact that he's a huge Mets fan, and I think that's going to stay in, in the fact that, hey, look, I'm going to do everything I can in my power to make sure we get better. And, and I think it's great. I don't know Steve. very; I have never met him, but I just think it's uh, you know a feather in his cap that he's willing to stand and, and go out there and, and – to listen to the fans. Have the fans call up, and but the, the point is, he wants to get this team better, and I think he will certainly have the means to do that.
0: Bob Melvin, Billy Bean, New York Mets thoughts.
2: Well, I think Bob Melvin's done a great job in Oakland. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's you know the payrolls are down all the time, and he continues to do a good job. You know, Billy, I've always liked Billy. I think you know, obviously an original Met, but they're going to come with big price tag. I'm not sure what Bob did, but I know Billy's going to come with a huge price tag, and. And I, as I said before, I think that's great, but I've been on teams where, you know what, when you got Barry Bonds hitting fourth or fifth in your lineup, you've got a pretty good chance to win. I don't care who the general manager is, you know, or anybody else. So it's all about getting better players, and, and you know, and that's to me, if those, those kind of guys, if they have the means to get better players in the New York. Then then great but uh I think that's what that's where you got to concentrate right now.
1: Terry, we had the pleasure of listening to you on WCBS with Wayne Randazzo. What'd you think about your broadcasting debut?
2: Well, I first of all I was tremendously impressed of what the play-by-play guy has to do. That is some kind of hard job. You know, he's got to broadcast the game, what's the action that's going on, talk about the, you know, situations and maybe where the, you know, what what and then yet read advertisements, you know. That oh that's Hit, hit brought to you by this guy and look, oh, there's the first guy that's brought to you by this and continue. I was tremendously impressed about how good Wayne Randazzo did and that just you know and how he rose you know with the best in the business so I was really impressed but it was a different angle for me to sit there and watch the game and try to bring some analysis that something may be in that people haven't heard before but it's difficult and i when i left her i said yeah it was really fun i'd like to try it again but on an everyday basis i uh, those guys they i get my hat to them that, that's a tough job
0: yeah howie and wayne do a good job and you know howie we hope he's back and better than ever for next year a a photo of you has blown up for matthew searle of you on the train you are mad of the people Terry did you ride the train when you managed or is that just now with the mask on? no
2: I was just now I, I didn't ride the train when I managed I had a car but no I you know it was easy for me. I stayed in the city, stayed in the hotel in the city so it was easy to hop on the train and get to the ballpark and when the games were over, I uh, got back on the train, and, and that particular night was the fireworks night, and so we waited. The, I think it was maybe even some, maybe a Sunday night, but anyway, I got on the train, and after the game, and had a lot of fun talking to the, the fans on on the train, and you know they all wanted to talk about 2015, of course, and or the or the argument with Tom Hallion, that was another big topic they had to talk about. So it was really really fun, and I was really lucky. I got the man. Major League Baseball for a long time, but I'm just a guy. I'm just a guy who loves baseball, and you know what? I think the fans are outstanding, and I think the New York Mets fans are as, far as good as any any fans in the game, so it was fun to talk to them.
0: So there's no one on the train whose ass was in the jackpot, you could say, next year. <laughs> one guy said his was. And it was true. That no one guy did say that. You know? <laughs> listen, I was—I was, was going to say because the mask on. I mean, I guess people still recognize you. I guess the—I uh, love that blue blazer, by the way. You know, uh, the fresh fit, Terry. Uh, maybe it was the fit that that everyone seemed to recognize you on there.
2: Yeah, a lot of you know what I will tell you. I, you know, when I'm in New York and I walk down the street, I can't tell you how many people stop and you know just thank you for hey, thanks for everything you did, and and they all talk about 2015, obviously, and stuff, but. Or they talked about the video that got out on the internet, but they are genuinely thankful. They just say, Hey, thanks so much for all you did. And, uh, you know, that means a lot. And I told, you know, I've told the story a hundred times about what after the Johan Santana no hitter that a man came to me and thanked me for leaving Johan in because his father gets, got the witness, but no hitter. And he passed away like three months later. And he told his son, that's the greatest night of his life. And he's so glad that his son took him to the game. And so he said, I can't thank you enough for, for what you've done. So and that that'll stick with me forever, no matter what results we ever had in New York, those kind of things, uh,
0: because the fans are great there. Well Terry, Luis Rojas would have pulled him in the fifth inning. I mean, he would have never made it through nine. <laughs> he would have never got there. <laughs> oh God. You would have never got those thank yous in the street if it was in today's was tough, game. cute yeah, got it. <laughs> <laughs> terry we love you here on amazing but true and uh we thank you so much for coming on enjoy your off season and hopefully uh we'll talk to you again next year
2: all right good to hear from you guys take care be safe
0: That'll say adios to episode 89, the Robert Stock or Robert Stonk edition of Amazing But True, our Mets podcast from the New York Post.
1: Thanks to you, Jake and Brian Mugia, for producing the show. If I'm not incorrect, I think you only had two innings. I could have had two innings for the Mets this year. Give Amazing But True a five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Email us at amazingbuttruepod at gmail.com or tweet us at amazingbuttrue.
0: For Nelson Figueroa, I'm Jake Brown. We'll return on Monday following the Mets' three-game series in Milwaukee. Enjoy the series and your weekend.